Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. Taylor Davis, Jason Campbell here to break down your Auburn Tigers. And boy, are we excited because this is the last episode that we won't be heading into a game. We will officially be in a game week this time next week. So the clock is ticking and it's about that time. We've got a great episode for you today. We're, of course, going to talk the big news that has been coming out in the football world as of late. We're going to recap the NFL a little bit, get Jason's take on some of the NFL results from this past week. And our guest today is a former and fellow Auburn grad, Jake Crane, who is the host of the J-Boy Show, talking all things SEC sports. So we're going to get his take on this Tigers team and the conference and everything that they're dealing with heading into season. So it's going to be a really well-rounded episode, but want to go ahead and tell you guys about our sponsor for this week, betonline.ag. The wait is finally over. Football is back. And obviously you might not be at the games this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never Closes. So you got to head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Again, betonline.ag, sign up today and find yourself some sign up bonuses. Now, Jason, it's, uh, it's like I said, it's that time. We're finally watching some football. Uh, the ACC and some other conferences have started. NFL has started. From a viewership perspective, what what's your opinion on the way football season is going to look this year now that you've actually seen it. Hey, Taylor, I am doing great today, Auburn fans. Um, I'm so excited. You know, I've been watching football. I've been watching basketball. Got a little baseball here and there. Got some tennis, got some golf. <laughs> Guys, we went from having zero to 100. So true. I am looking forward to, to this football season. Reason why is it's a year of change. It's one of those unorthodox yeah. type of years. And to me, that means anything can happen. And that's the one thing about this football season is no one really knows what anyone has until they put the helmet on and they scrap up and they go out and play. And how do these kids really feed off each other's energy? How do they communicate with one another? Because there were not going to be a whole bunch of fans. And football is all about feeding off the fans. Fans, you what makes sports. Sports is not great without you. And we're so thankful for you. And the opportunity yeah. for these guys to be out there on this football field means a lot to each and every last one of them. And it's going to come down to who really just stays healthy. Like, we've been watching over this last mm -hmm. week. There has been a ton of injuries. And, you know, knock on wood, our football team can stay healthy 
But a lot of that is because, Taylor, there's not a lot of hitting going on in training camp and, and, and everything leading up to the first week of the season because no one wants their star players or their starters to get hurt because this is more important than any other year of having depth. you got to have two at each position. So yeah. if one gets sick or something, then the next person's up. If one gets hurt, the next person's up. So you can't lose guys because you're trying to hit early in camp. So that's the thing that I'm looking forward to the first week is who tackles the best and who has depth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to get into a couple talking points before we break down this first matchup for Auburn. Big news coming out of the football world and uh, really a conference that just has given us all whiplash and I just think they need to get it together. All right. But the Big Ten's going to play football. The Big Ten has officially decided they voted and a unanimous decision has come out that they will return to football play starting the weekend of October 23rd and 24th. So really like five weeks from now, another member of the Power Five is going to be suiting up and playing some ball. So I'm not surprised, to be honest with you, when they pulled the trigger and said no fall season, I felt like it was a premature decision. I felt like there were too many discrepancies between the Power Fives of information that was being divvied out. And now that they're seeing that it's actually happening, there's more of a comfort to it, I guess, or their medical personnel has realized what they needed to see. But I just don't understand why they gave the the announcement and made an official decision if it wasn't actually going to be set in stone. Don't do that to these players. Like just continue to say we're postponing and and we need more time. Like this is an unconventional year. People would have granted you that flexibility, but to say one extreme to the other, we're not playing. We are playing like that's a limbo that these guys don't need to continue to go through. Right. You're exactly right. Um, My whole thing about this, like we both talked about it earlier um, the fact that they made that decision so early and, and they were supposed to get together. Each conference was supposed to get their commissioners all together and they were supposed to sit down in a room and they were supposed to brainstorm on what's the best way to move forward. But the big 10 jumped the gun and jumped out there way before everybody else and came out and made the announcement that there wasn't having fall sports. So when they did that instantly, it turned things into a power struggle. And I mean, because mm-hmm. at that standpoint, it's almost like they try to stick their chest out there and say, well, we're going to do this first. And you're supposed to be moving as a unit. And mm-hmm. and to me, that just started a whole bunch of chaos in college football, because after that, you saw the MAC conference decided they was going to opt out because they're closer to the Big Ten up north. So they were pretty much following their big predecessor, where in the South, the SEC is the big predecessor, and all the other teams and conferences were going to kind of follow that, that what they do so yeah it's just kind of like it, it's a domino effect and you know it's, it's so unfortunate for these kids because you know i know a parent very close to a kid that plays in a big 10 and for three weeks they have been saying they was going to vote on this and and, and get it rolling and, and make the decision to go or not to go and for three weeks they've been dragging their feet on this and finally they yeah. came out yesterday and made the announcement that they're going to play they're going to have football i get that you have to get everything in place for these kids to be healthy that's the number one thing and the most important thing but at the same time you didn't have to make that announcement because now what you're doing is playing yo-yo and Mm -hmm. football is not a sport that you can throw a kid out there on the football field and just say okay 
we're playing in two weeks. Let's go. Like you have to be bought in. You have to be, it's not a sport that you play 50% your mind in it, 50% your mind's not in it. Like you have to be all the way in because it's so physical. And then the aspect of if you're a kid that may have an opportunity to play at the next level, now your mind probably turned out three, four weeks ago and said, okay, I'm preparing for the NFL draft. Where now they said we were playing. So now all of a sudden you got to reverse that thought and say, okay, I'm putting down the NFL football, going back to my college football, and I'm going to prepare for a season because I have an opportunity to go win a championship, as the kid from uh, Ohio State said. So, you know, Justin Fields. So, you know, he's been training with both, but now he got to lock all the way into college. It's just so unfair what they do to these kids. I'm just like, and Mm -hmm. to the parents. Like, parents have to plan for this type of stuff as well. And uh, it's right. so much stuff that goes in, Taylor. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy they made a decision. And moving forward, I hope everyone's healthy and everything. They do the best that they can to give these kids the opportunity to live out their dream. Yeah, I'm happy to hear the decision too. But at this point, it's like, can we even trust decision announcements from right. this conference? Because they could go back up on it again, you know? So sure. I-, I also think there could be long-term implications as far as, like, how – how these guys feel about the conference that they're playing for. I I mean, I really think that some of them had a really bad taste in their mouth about how it all was handled because I think you saw when the players all joined together and and kind of the social media movement took place that they all wanted to play and, you know, let us have a say in this, which is a topic of college football all the time that the players don't have enough of a voice, but the way that the big 10 was one that almost discredited or, or undermined, that aspect of the argument, what their players wanted. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, no one is being forced to play. You have the right to determine what you want to do this season. And if you are uncomfortable with what's happening in the world, you can opt out and you will not be punished for it. You will still maintain your scholarship. You will still have a year of eligibility. You can return to play next year. There are no hindrances if you decide you don't want to play. So like options were there for these student athletes to be taken care of. They were vocal about taking the responsibility on knowing what it meant to take the field and the risk associated with it. They were willing to work with the conference and it was just ignored or so it felt, especially when you look to the Big 12 ACC and SEC that were seemingly motivated by what the players were saying. So I think that it's a bad look for the Big Ten. Honestly, I think you got to have all your ducks in a row before you take stuff like this to the media and to the players. And now they're going to be completely flipped the other way. It also is kind of annoying. This is the best analogy that I can give. Which, by the way, I just want to say I'm very happy the Big Ten is playing football. As a football fan, I wanted all of the Power Five playing. So, like, I want to see Ohio State play. I want to see Nebraska play. I want to see Iowa play. So, I'm all for this. I just think the way the conference handled it was irresponsible, especially in terms of the athletes. And what's also frustrating is, you know when you go to dinner – and you're with a group of people, and you're ordering cocktails, and it's a cocktail that you're kind of unsure about, but you're like, you ask the waitress, you're like, do you think I should get it? Do you recommend it? And the waitress is like, yeah, 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 it's great. So you order it, right? You right. you take the chance, you're going to pay for that cocktail and, and take the risk. And someone at the table, when the waitress comes to take their order, says, um, I'm just going to try hers first, and then I'll order. That right. way, if it's not good and they don't like the cocktail, they haven't risked their money 
me and their experience because they got to test it first and see how someone else liked it. That's what this is. They literally got to see someone else bite the bullet, take the risk, try everything, see how it works out, and then go ahead and throw their hat in the ring. And I like your food analogy of bringing this in, Taylor. Everyone (laughs) knows that I'm a foodie. So, you know, you was right on point with that. Uh, I, I agree with you 100% because you've seen college football now have played two weeks into their season. Some of these teams have already played two two games. They're heading to their third game. So now they had an opportunity to see other teams out and play and how they handle everything from a regulation standpoint. So you're right. They are backtailing off a lot of other conferences after watching. Now, the other part of this is, I wanted the Big Ten to play for the simple fact of all my Big Ten friends and Big Ten people. I didn't want to hear them say, oh, the SEC only won another national championship because we weren't playing. So I am happy that they are playing. So now I feel like it's a level playing field and everyone can participate and everyone has the equal opportunity to win a championship. I agree. You love to see it. I just wish they would have handled it differently, but potato, potato. All right. um, Let's talk a little bit about the NFL because we finally have some results coming out of the league and some big games this past weekend. Most of them kind of panned out as predicted, but let's go ahead and start with Cam Newton, obviously getting his first win as a Patriot. He went 15 of 19 for 155 yards, but he ran 15 times for 75 yards, which is the most by a Pats quarterback in franchise history. And uh, just, just a little, um, Full circle moment, I guess, because that foot injury, which was preventing his run game, which, as we all know, is arguably Cam's strongest asset. It's the very thing that defenses just have not been able to stop in his playing career. And it kind of is what got him ostracized from the league a little bit. It's why the Panthers released him. That Liz Frank injury was really affecting his run ability. And now his first game with the team that believed in him and gave him another opportunity, they let him run 15 times. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. Cam, I thought, came out this week. Uh, you could tell, it's not like he's bad at the world a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I think he's carrying a little chip on his shoulder from how Carolina released him. And and now, you know, New England got opportunity to sign him before camp started. For him, I think it was a good way to enter the season. Like, they took his mm-hmm. best asset and what he does best, and they implemented it right away. And yeah. the reason they did, that's a sign of a great coach because you do that because you don't make a player adapt to what you do well, but you adjust to the, the player's ability. And for Cam to have that opportunity to go out there and get involved in the run game early, I don't think they're going to run him 15 times every game like they did this game. I think it was on purpose just to get him back acclimated because he missed a ton right. of games last year. And, you know, it's not like you just roll out there and you just throw back playing football. So they didn't have him to throw the ball a whole lot, which will continue to progress as they move forward. But for him to, you know, to have 155 yards passing and then to have another 70-some yards rushing uh, all 15 carries, I think was the right way to go. Now, moving forward, I think they would limit him to probably seven or eight carries per game. A lot of that yeah. will come off a rezone play, and then he may have two or three scrambles in there on his own. Um, but I do think, you know, Cam's is a passing quarterback as well. So I think that they will 
implement that because he took the lead by storm by throwing for two 400 yard games back to back so for him i think it's all about just winning and that's what belichick cares mm-hmm. about that's why i tell people i say belichick doesn't care if you throw for 115 or 350 he's going to attack whatever the defense weakness is and that's what he instills in his offensive coordinators and josh mcdaniels to do with cam look if we're playing against seattle and seattle has given up 450 yards in the passing game uh this past week to Atlanta, then, okay, Cam may throw the ball more this week. Who knows? You know, yeah. it's all about chemistry that he's built with his receivers. And they're going to say, has he had enough time to build that that timing and everything with, with this receiver? So, you know, with that being said, I expect them to throw the ball a little bit more this week. But I expect it to be a really good game up in Seattle this week. And, uh, you know, it's fun to just see and see how this plays out because Tom is in Tampa Bay. Things didn't go well. Cam's in New England. Things went well. And you know the competitive edge between Brady and Belichick and Cam's now in the middle of it. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. I agree. I I don't necessarily know if this was the most accurate of tests to see what this Pats team is going to be, but it certainly gave Cam the opportunity to kind of make that debut. You know, so much Mm -hmm. has been made about his career, the unfortunate break up with the Panthers and him becoming a pad. That's just like a wild storyline. So for him to be able to kind of get that first one out of the way and do it in a very Cam Newton-esque way was really refreshing to see. Um, What other teams kind of caught your eye in the NFL, notable results of games that you were excited to see? Ooh, everyone knows now, if you didn't know, I covered a post game, um, at least half of the season, half of the games for the season for the Washington football team, um, formerly known as, you know, we're going to leave that alone. But I thought for Philadelphia, oh, my goodness, what a meltdown. Um, you start off 17-0, to then all of a sudden you just just fall apart. Like, uh, I, And this was a team coming into the, into the league this year. Everyone was comp- thinking they was going to compete for the NFC East championship. And then mm-hmm. on the flip side of it, watching Washington's front seven, their front seven on defense – have got some got some guys. They got some guys on defense. Like offensively, they still got a ways to go. But on the defense, their front seven is going to keep them in a lot of ball games this year. The other teams that I, I enjoy watching was a former Auburn guy, Carlton Davis, uh, the Tampa Bay corner cornerback. Yeah. Uh, what he did against one of the best receivers in the, in the game right now, you know, was outstanding. I thought he played a great game. I also thought D4 had a good game out in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He had a script sack. Uh, at the same time, you know, even though they lost the game, he had a really good game. C.J. Hushma, <laughs> I try to Uzoma. say it. Yeah, Usoma, you know, for Cincinnati. He had a career high with 66 yards receiving, uh, you know, from Joe Burrow. So there were some guys that had some really good games. Like I said, Montavious Adams, Peyton Barber had a touchdown in the win against uh, for Washington and the win against Philly. And uh, so, you Darius know. Darius Slayton. Yes, Darius Slayton. And the most important part that everyone keeps forgetting, if you watch that game Monday night, you just, you know how important the kicking game is. You look at Daniel mm-hmm. Carson, what he did, he went three for three on extra points. He was 17 or 18 field goals uh, midway through last season. But then this year, he's already started out on a high note in the in the, in the Oakland Raiders uh, victory. So, you know, kudos to Daniel Carson and what he did this past weekend. Uh, the kicking game is so important. So continue your success. Agreed. 
Well, like I said at the beginning, this is our last week, the final week of practice before a game week. Obviously, we're going to break this one down with Jake Crane here in just a minute. But Coach Malzahn saying the focus for this week and obviously next week will turn to game preparation. Practices will be very situational. Uh, The team is going to scrimmage inside Jordan-Hare Saturday evening under the new light system, which will be exciting, kind of get them ready, even though the Kentucky game is during the day still. Certainly will will give them the sense that season is is here and it's actually going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So that'll be exciting to see. Uh, quick question for you, a little trivia. Okay. Coach Malzahn is 6-1 and one in season openers as the head coach at Auburn. Who is the one loss? Oh. Ooh. Wow. Man, they going to take me back in my playing days. Oh. <laughs> Was I really paying attention? You got me on that one. Clemson in 2016. Oh, yeah, I was going to say I was at that game. Gosh. Yep. 19 to 13. That is his yes. only season opener loss as the head coach. That's a good stat, especially considering the last two were Oregon and Washington. That's a good stat, but that's a mad, uh, bad memory bank on my part. Jeez, <laughs> I, was, I was at the game. I was it's at the game. Right. Take care. Now, Miss Taylor. Now, what you got? I got something for you. Okay, everyone knows in the sports world, Women do a great job of covering all sports um, from every aspect. And I have the utmost respect for you guys and in everything you have to go through because I do feel like y'all have to take on things harder than the men because mm-hmm. you are women. And this past week, Maria Taylor, you know, got, you know, talked about for what she was wearing on mm-hmm. the Monday night and TV and everything. And I'm sure a lot of you go through that on an often basis. Like, tell us a little bit of like, how does that make you feel? Like, how did when you're trying to cover games and you're trying to look apart and just be your yeah. normal self, but then you got to deal with all the things that everyone don't get a chance to hear about or see all the time. You know, Jason, I. I appreciate you asking me that question. I really do. I wish it weren't an aspect of my job that I had to talk about, but it's a reality. And unfortunately, even, you know, some of the really established, talented TV personalities like Maria Taylor, who have been doing this for so long and have proven to be very, very talented and knowledgeable, still have to deal with petty crap like this. Um most of the time what it comes from is insecure people. It's very unfortunate that the person who made that comment to Maria is also in sports broadcasting. So like mm-hmm. you should know better. You, like, you know what we're up against, you know, the pressures of this job. So for you to do something like that and make such a, I mean, it was such a basic joke. You know what I mean? It wasn't even funny. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it was very immature, but it showcased insecurity on his part. But you know, for me, I always feel like I have to go the extra mile to prove that I know what I'm talking about because the reality of me being a female is that I never played football. So I have made it my mission to know my X's and O's, to study scheme and coverage so that when I go into these situations, I'm not just a talking head. I'm not just out there as the the token female that these you know networks feel like they need to have for inclusion. I want to be somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. And Maria Taylor is that. Let's all not forget, Maria is a very talented athlete. She played mm-hmm. volleyball and basketball at Georgia. So 
undermining someone like her is absolutely ridiculous because her understanding and knowledge of sports, I would put up against a lot of men. But I think that it's, it's unfortunate that um, appearance is such the topic that we have to actively get people not to focus on. It sucks because when you get on camera in a situation like that, Nerves are a very real thing. Uh You know you're staring into a camera and there are millions of people that are about to see and hear what you're about to say. Women also have to take on the pressure that as soon as that camera comes on, we are going to be scrutinized for our appearance. Whether it's for, I guess, complimentary, but like gawking at someone being attractive and the disgusting DMs that you're now about to get because someone saw how you look or negative someone hating on you saying how did a girl like this get on television like your appearance becomes scrutinized the second you get on that television then add on top of it your purpose for being there remembering what you're going to say delivering it effectively and doing your job well I would say for anyone that's a viewer and doesn't have any kind of clue what all goes into that. If you're going to be that type of person to throw such a low blow and comment on the appearance of someone that's genuinely fighting against the odds to do their job at a high level, you need to reevaluate your inner self and stop focusing on the outer appearance of other people. My encouragement to females in the sports industry is carry yourself as someone who is just doing your job. You're there for a reason. You've been given the opportunity because you are qualified and you are good enough. And whoever doesn't see that because you are a dang female, shame on them. That has no implication on who you are or the job that you're doing. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, you know, to all the women that's in sports and and trying to do your best and uh, just put your foot down and keep moving forward. You know, it's always going to be some of those scums out there that try to say things to discourage you or, you know, to take your lightness away. But, you know, you're more powerful than you think. It's not an easy task. I know just from playing quarterback, you know, you're always scrutinized as a quarterback. And I definitely mm-hmm. understand what you're saying. And just imagine having to be a woman in, in this industry. You know, I can only amount like it's twice as hard because yeah. you know because of the things that you're facing because of you know from a man perspective some guys that don't understand life or don't understand people will say well she didn't play the game how she no that's a bad yeah. way to think of it you know that's like most some of the best coaches that ever played the coach the game didn't yep. play the game didn't play you know yep. coach al borges he wasn't a, a quarterback in in football and he came to auburn and his mind was so great at the game he gave me the opportunity to excel at a high level, Carnell and Ronnie and, and everybody. And then you think about even Bill Belichick, like it, just a great mind. You know, it just right. like you don't have to play something to have a great mind. Like when you play yep. something, you get a chance to give people the experience of walking through the shoes that maybe they didn't get a chance to be in because they weren't allowed to. But yeah. it doesn't take away from that person having a great mind and a great concept about what they see because you're at these games, you cover games, you're, you have to do so much studying you have to know what you're talking about. So I kudos to all the women that are doing your thing. Keep moving forward. Do not be discouraged. Let's what somebody like that says, let it just motivate you even more to do it even at a higher, higher level. Thank you, Jason. That, that really does mean a lot.
All right, everybody. Well, we are going to get into our interview with Jake Crane, break down the SEC uh, landscape a little bit, and of course, talk your Auburn Tigers. Fellow podcaster joining us here today, we have Jake Crane of the J-Boy Show talking all things SEC sports, a, a focus on the SEC West, so we know he's going to give us some good input on our Tigers today. Everyone, welcome in, Jake. Jake, thanks for joining us. Uh, really excited to be here, Taylor and Jason. I, I really appreciate y'all letting me come on this morning. Hey, Jake, anytime you can come on the show, man, it's a pleasure. Just specifically because I see golf clubs in your background and... Uh, <laughs> You know, most people that have golf clubs and two sets of golf clubs usually can play golf. I don't know what's up mm. with the dog. He's asleep right now. Maybe it's raining or something. <laughs> yeah, but, well, uh, actually, the the other set of clubs is the dogs. So it's oh, okay. that's it. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, it's uh, we we play for fun. I actually uh, had Stuart Sink on the show and and literally picked his brain about how to make myself a better golfer, and yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> Turns out I'm not Stuart Sink, apparently. So it's all good. Neither am I. Wow, that was that was a pretty humble comment. I was expecting Jake Ham to start giving you some pointers. Maybe we'll do that. <laughs> hey, after listen, that. listen, listen. I've watched Jason, and I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm going to get this out of the way early. All right, I watched Jason ball on the field, but what I heard from people back where he's from is that Jason Campbell may be the most underrated basketball player to ever come out of the state of Mississippi. That's just what I heard, especially the the that wing of the state over there by uh, hey. Taylorsville. Hey, Jay, we don't lie down south. You know no. what I'm saying? Because you know, we from that we from that Bible Belt area, you know what I'm saying? So they're gonna exactly. the truth, man. That's true. And, you know, I've been telling Taylor, I've been telling all the fan base <laughs> this for I don't know how long. Nobody believed me, but Auburn signed me to play both sports. And uh I did finish as one of the almost semifinalists for the McDonald's All American game my mm. senior year. Yeah, I missed it by about five five spots, pretty much because I was playing football for half that year mm. uh in the state championship. But hey. I appreciate that, Jake. Thank you for spreading knowledge to hey, all my listen, Auburn no, fans. It's the truth. That was oh, not – I did not – I, as you said, man, y'all know I'm a Southern boy. We tell the truth. I did not know Jason at the time. I was coaching in that area. And just the Auburn connection, that was the first thing they said when I brought up Jason Campbell was basketball <laughs> for the Tartars. So that's uh, – yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Jake, you certainly <laughs> became his favorite guest by saying that, giving him a bit of a shout-out. Guys, let's go ahead and talk some football because uh, we are very close – to the start of the SEC season. Finally, feels like it's been a long time coming. We've had some football on lately, but we are all anticipating the start of the SEC season. And this is the last week for these guys to get in some practices and scrimmages before a game week. So Jake, I kind of want to start out, like I mentioned uh, on your show, you talk a, a bit more in depth as far as the conference goes. You, you have a good analysis on the SEC as a whole. So give me a little bit of your expectation of this season conference-wise. Who do you think thrives and who do you think is likely to be a disappointment? Well, you know, I'll, I'll start in the East. I appreciate the compliment, Taylor. Thank you. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'll start in the East and the way I see it, is, you know, obviously you got to look at the way everything is now. You look at Jamie Newman opting out, even though I wasn't, you know, on the Jamie Newman for Heisman hype train, uh, as a lot of people were. Now that he's out, uh, you have JT Daniels, who's hobbled still. you got a true freshman quarterback. Well, I said he may be unbelievable, but he's a true freshman quarterback. And, right. you know, playing true freshman quarterback in that league, especially at Georgia, you know, is, is tough in itself, as Bo Nix. But, you know, I look at Florida, and I – I like Florida in the East, but I like them, you know, like eight and two. You know, I don't think it's going to be yeah. a nine and one. I think it's going to be a dogfight over in the East. 
Uh, I have Georgia at seven and three right now. Um, they're going to be really, really good on defense. But, you know, until that offense finds an identity, and it's funny, I always say this, and I don't want to be too long-winded, but it's amazing. It's almost like Kirby's kind of following in Coach Saban's footsteps a little bit. We're going to play defense and run the ball. We're going to play defense mm-hmm. and run the ball. And then you realize you need a little bit more on offense. Okay, maybe now we can have a Tua Tagovailoa. Maybe now we can do a little zone read stuff. Maybe now we can have a quarterback run game with Jalen Hurts. So I'm wondering if – getting Jamie Newman for Georgia was Kirby trying to implement that offensively to give that offense the dimension of running at quarterback, which you don't have enough numbers to account for at the end of the day. But I just, I don't think they're going to take that step. I like Florida in the East looking towards the West. It's very hard not to say Alabama with what they have up front uh, with what they have coming back outside at receiver. Now there is some holes on that team. In my opinion, I think the secondary is untested. You do have Patrick Sertan, but you know, who's an NFL player. He's a, he's a first day pick, but outside of that, you know, it's a lot of untested guys, super talented, you know, Alabama is going to be super talented, but it's, it's inexperienced. So, you know, I look at the West, I like Alabama nine and one. I think they possibly could be the only team to go 10 and no, especially with LSU losing all these opt outs. But, uh, I actually think, and and people think I'm crazy, I think there's a chance you could have Auburn and Alabama in the playoff this year. Mm. Hmm. Well, you wouldn't be the first person to say that, Jake. No, I'm just playing with you. <laughs> you are the first person to say that. Oh, man. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the train. <laughs> hey, but uh, Taylor and myself was discussing this probably about two weeks ago, and we was talking about who's the second best team we think in the SEC West to compete for that spot, and we both thought, you know, Auburn or Texas a and uh, we thought LSU had lost a lot, um, especially losing Chase. And then I think they've lost some others. And right now they're dealing with a lot with the coronavirus. So, you know, hopefully they can get that under control. But you think about the quarterbacks in the SEC right now. Who would you list like one through five? Mm. And that to me, Jason, that's the that's the question. Because, you know, I would put Bo Nix one. And people say, oh, that's a, that's a homer. It's not a homer pick to me. Because if you look, I'm not a, I'm not a huge believer in Kellen Mond. I think he has a great fastball, but doesn't have an out pitch. Um, I don't think he, you know, his intermediate game has gotten better since he's been there. But he really struggles, you know, with the deep ball, especially if it's not just him throwing it as far as he can. It's amazing. You know, he's like a pitcher that can throw it 105 when he throws as hard as he can for a strike, but he tries and throw it 90 miles an hour and it goes in the dugout. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think, you know, Kellen, until he develops that, I, I have him as the third best quarterback tied with Kyle Trask. I think it goes Bo Nix. And I put Mac Jones second, not just because that I think he's a talented player, but what he has around him and what they ask him to do in that system uh, as far as, you know, you typically have protection with it, with the talent up front that they have. They have a great play action game because they can run the ball. They always have tight ends that are matchup problems in the middle of the field. So I think Mac has a ton of weapons and he's very talented. Do I think he's elite? I do not, at least not yet. But I'd probably say Bo one. I would say Mac two. I'd go ahead and put Kellen three just because of the athleticism. I'd go Kyle Trask four. And I think five you know, you is really kind of a toss up. I mean, you can look at, at Helensky at South Carolina, you can look, you could say maybe Guarantino at Tennessee, even though I don't think he could throw it from, from me to that door right now and hit the door. But, you know, I don't think Jason, and, and I'd love to hear what you think. I don't think this is a super deep quarterback league this year, as far as just elite quarterbacks 
all throughout the league. I mean, when Kyle Trask is considered one of the elite quarterbacks, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't want to knock anything from him, but I just don't know if it's a, a very deep year in the SEC at the quarterback position. Yeah, I'll let Taylor go first. Uh, Taylor, what you think? Because I know she covers a lot of the SEC as well, and she's probably up close in person with these guys, and then I give you all my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that there's more question marks when you look at the quarterback position than confirmations this season for the SEC. I, I mean, think about it. Who is the face of the conference this season? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's as clear cut as it has been in seasons past. And I think the quarterback position, there is a really big opportunity this season for someone to step into that role and really establish themselves. When you're looking at it from right now, though, I don't necessarily see that immediate front runner. I think you can rank one to five, but even that top five, they all kind of run together. I, I think there's, you can make arguments to where they shuffle. You know, I don't think it's as clear cut as you would want it to be heading into an SEC only season the way it's going to be. But I don't think I would put Bo at number one. I really don't. I think that passing inconsistency that we saw last season, I think that might still be an issue. Some of the intermediate routes, things like that, I need him to kind of settle in and find some continuity there. Um, I actually am a believer in Kellen Mond for the same reasons that you're a believer in Mac Jones. I think the experience that he has garnered over the past few years and the pieces that are returning for him at Texas A&M, I think that it's only a matter of time before Jimbo Fisher gets that thing working. They've had very good recruiting the past couple of years, and I think that uh, this is actually going to be a more successful showing for Kellen Mond. I agree with you about Kyle Trask. I think it's interesting that you didn't mention John Rice Plumley at Ole Miss. I think he absolutely showcased some athleticism last year. Um, and, you know, Terry Wilson at Kentucky, I think, you know, he's obviously depending on how he came back from that injury, but we did see some good running ability from him. It's passing game kind of spotty, but there are some guys, but that goes back to what I'm saying. It all kind of runs together. There's no evident leader face of the SEC at the quarterback position. Really, for everyone right now, it's kind of theirs for the taking. Yeah. You, you took the words right out of my mouth because I think they're the same guy. Um, and I actually coached against Terry when he was at Garden City. I just don't believe in them throwing the ball. And when you can't throw the ball, you're one-dimensional. If you're one-dimensional in the SEC, you're in trouble. I, I, I like John. I'm 40 minutes from Oxford. I think mm -hmm. he's a good player. I don't really think he fits what Lane wants to really do and have at that position. But, mm -hmm. you know, could, is he a guy that, that could have a good year? Yes. Could he end up being in the top five? Yes. But I thought the best point you made, Tether, is that a lot of it runs together. And I think yeah. that goes to the lack of – you know, it's not – I mean, you look last year at, at some of the guys. There's no really Joe Burrow, you know what I'm saying, totally. this, this year, unless it would have to be either probably Bo Nix or one to two other people that, that maybe could do it. So I'm, I'm very hesitant on that just because, you know, I want to see him throw the ball more. I actually think K.J. Costello at Mississippi State could be a guy that people are sleeping on a little bit, especially in that system that he can go ahead and throw it around, the Stanford transfer. But, you know, I don't think that's a bad thought, Taylor, at all, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Um, like I said, I disagree, I think, just with putting Bo at number one because I do think he's still young and a little bit raw um, right now, still learning a lot. And I do feel like he will be a lot better this year from a passing standpoint because Coach Morris will – he's going to add the tight end to the passing game. And that's something we've been missing over the last uh, – pretty much since Lesson Kirk has been gone. But uh, as far as number one, I did like the Jones kid from Bama last year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he came in a hostile environment. He played in Auburn, and that crowd was going crazy. I was there. And besides those two bad interceptions that he threw for pick sixes, the kid had an outstanding game. 
And yeah. uh, I thought it was one of the hardest atmospheres to play in. And uh, he, he actually showed up and, and he was dropping some dimes. And, he really uh, did. And, and to be honest with you, Jason, the touchdown that he, the, the pick six, and I know the quarterback always has the ball regardless of the play. There's been terrible play calls that, that ended up being great plays and vice versa. But it shocked me. And I'm, I would guess it probably shocked you a little bit that on that drive where, you know, he threw it off the back of Najee, I believe, they were running the ball down Auburn's throat from the 20 all the way to the two. And then on first and goal from the two with Najee, you run a play action. And really, Auburn just guessed off the edge. And he guessed right, yeah. made him hurry the throw because there was that mesh there, obviously, on all the right. play action. I thought that play call put him in a horrible position. Now, he's the one that made the play. He threw the interception. Ultimately, in my opinion, you know, it's, it's uh, on the guy with the ball most of the time. But I, I thought that was an interesting uh, series of play calls by Sarkeesian. Yeah, uh, I think he was trying to catch the guy off guard. Usually, we always say, everyone always say this, uh, Taylor knows as well, people mostly try to run the ball first down inside the five-yard yep. line. Yep. But then yep. you try to get the element of surprise. So I think that caught him off guard. But I think he learns from that. And mm -hmm. then, you know, moving on to my number three, uh, I probably put Munn. Or, or Trask at three. I probably put mine there just because of experience. Every year, there's always a senior quarterback that pops up, like Burrow. And for me, it's either between Munn and Trask. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say Munn is because now he's had multiple, multiple years, um, mm -hmm. you know, down there in, in Texas A&M now. He's had an opportunity to be with Jimbo for a few years. And if it's going to click, it's going to be have to be this year. And I could see them kind of clicking. Like I said, he does throw a fastball. Sometimes he got to understand touch uh, in the mid-range passing game. Uh, my number four would be Trash from Florida. I do think, uh, you know, he gets a little bit more credit than people give him. Um, at the same time, this is his third year uh, as well with his head coach. So in the field spot for me is Plumley from Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Now I'm just going to say this. The reason why is everyone remembers uh, back who – Who's the quarterback? Sims, the Sims kid from Alabama. Yep, Blake Sims. Yep. Remember, he played for Lane. Yep. And he Blake was more of an athletic type of guy. And Plumley kind of reminds me of him as far as like when it comes to his running ability and how yeah. and how he would be utilized within that offense. So Blake wasn't super fast either, but he was a good runner. Right. But he was right. a good runner. He's yeah. enough to keep you honest. So for me, I put I put him at the number five position. I, I saw the kid. He's from Mississippi. He's from Oak Grove area. So I had a chance to see him in person. And he's fast. He's really fast. But the kid plays with a lot of heart and tenacious. Mm -hmm. And that's my top five as far as like going into this season. Now, there are some the, the two from my toss up is in Kentucky, Wilson and Gatewood, whoever wins that battle, I think yeah. it's going to be uh, a really good situation to watch. And, uh, and so we'll see moving forward. All right. Let's talk Auburn a little bit. We've mentioned, you know, the development of Bo Nix. I mean, Jason, you know, the, the change from his first year playing to his second year playing, you anticipate we're going to be able to see it, right? Whether it's taking shape in form of, of confidence, leadership on the team, comfortability in the pocket, like whatever it may be, you, you're going to see improvements year one to year two. We also mentioned, you know, adding in the, the utilization of the tight end, some new things that Chad Morris wants to do. But what other aspects of this Auburn team do you guys anticipate being advantageous this season? What do you expect to see once they take the field in a game type atmosphere that potentially could lead them to a successful season? I'll, I'll go first, Jason, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, yeah. Really, uh, 
I think the two keys, and and I've said this, and I'm going to keep saying this. And Jason, when when you came on uh, came on my show, we talked about this, had a really good conversation about this. I think the two questions offensively, looking at Auburn, you you would you almost have to assume that Bo Nix is going to take that step. And I hate to assume mm-hmm. anything, but I don't think that's one of the biggest questions. I think it's the offensive line, and I think it's the effect that Chad Morris has on the offense not only from a schematical standpoint, but from a philosophical standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, is Auburn going to turn into a team, and you've heard about this at the scrimmage, that's kind of throwing to open the run a little bit, you know, and, and that's something that Gus Malzahn really hasn't done. Now, is Auburn going to turn into a team that throws it 70 times a game? No, not under Gus Malzahn. They're always going to be a run, play action team. But that doesn't mean you can't have certain games where the passing game is, is way more involved than just lining up and running zone read and inside zone on first down every time and second down and five most of the times and ended up in third and forever. What I'm interested to see is, like Jason talked and we've talked before, is Auburn's utilization of the tight end. Because whenever Auburn has had a successful offense, or any offense, honestly, has been successful that runs any sort of 11 personnel or 12 personnel, the tight end has to be able to affect the passing game. It's a huge matchup problem. I always say, and Jason, I think you'll agree with me, it's like having a a 6'9 power forward that can run point. You know, it's tough. Mm -hmm. It's a matchup. There's not a tight end size guy typically out there covering a tight end. So it's either a nickel, it's a safety they walk down if he's on the end of the line of scrimmage. So it gives the defense something else to have to prepare for, which Auburn really, in my opinion, hasn't done since really, you know, you could say CJ Uzoma. You can't really say Sal Canella because they didn't throw it to him a whole lot. So I'm I'm really interested to see if if the flex wide, the tight end, whatever you want to call him, is going to be integrated in the offense. And if they do, I think Auburn is going to be very, very more, uh, way more explosive with Seth Williams, with uh, Eli Stowe, because now you can't bracket guys because you have a problem in the middle. That's just right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I've heard Chad Moore say this over spring and over summer during camp. He has said that he wants to be the most explosive offense in all of college football. So to me, that tells me there's going to be a lot of misdirection plays. There's going to be a lot of take your shot type of opportunities. So in order for those to happen, everything starts up front. Yes. And that starts with the offensive line. We're placing four new starters. And you're also trying to figure out who's your number two receiver. Yes, we have Eli Stove that's been there. He's coming back. Yes, we have what I call our NASCAR guys with Swartz. And now you have Cam's brother there, Kalen. So for me is when teams get into the into the 25-yard line moving in, they're going to double Seth. And that's going to open up opportunities to run the ball. Like you said, what I threw with DJ and with Showers and you no know, Tank Bisbee and those guys. But at the same time, that's where the tight end really becomes the most effectively because mm-hmm. that's when he can get behind linebackers. That's when he can exploit the middle of the field uh, is during those times. And that's when you put points up on the board. A lot of times last year we ended up punting a lot in the red zone because we didn't utilize the tight end enough. So if we can start – utilize that tight end and get points on the board we will be one of the most explosive offenses and then when I think about from the center standpoint having Braun back at center makes a world of a difference because Mm -hmm. he is your second play caller on offense when it comes to pointing out pass protections so when he sees safeties walk down we have a young quarterback like Bo as well both of them being on the same page to redirect the mic to to redirect the point so that everyone's on the same Everyone's blocking the right guys. That's that's very key. So, for me, that is the biggest part for our offense to be successful is the left tackle position. Yeah. It's the quarterback's best friend. And anytime you can have a monster of a left tackle, it takes the pressure off from having to use your running back to chip in the passing game. So, now you get an extra defender out. I mean, an extra um, 
guy receiver out in the out in the open space. So that's my keys for us to being successful this year on offense. Um, other than that, like we said, we already know everything starts with the quarterback center and everything. But those are the guys around them that I feel like it has to happen in order for us to be the yeah. most explosive offense. All right. So what blows my mind, Jason? I did some numbers crunching the other day, and this is through the season, throughout the season. When Auburn has a quarterback throughout the season, obviously not one game, that rushes for 350 yards or more throughout the season, Gus Malzahn is 31-7. and seven. When he has a quarterback that rushes for less than 350 yards, he's like 14-24. and 24. Wow. So my question is, and, and, and Bo Nix rushed for 325 yards last year, 320 mm-hmm. yards last year. Imagine if he'd have been able to rush for 30 more yards on his own read and get one more first down against LSU or Florida. So I think that's a huge – because I don't think you can run a zone read type scheme if the quarterback is not a threat to run. I think you saw that with Stidham. I think yep. you saw defenses – I saw it literally the other day in the NFL with watching Saquon. They were trying to run a little – zone read RPO with Daniel Jones and they didn't believe Jones was going to keep it and Saquon couldn't get back to the line of scrimmage and I noticed that you know a lot of times last year even on you know short downs teams were just crashing the mesh toward the back they would overflow a little bit with that backside backer just in case or if there was a tight end they'd walk a safety down my question to you Jason is is Grant Loy going to be the guy that comes in in the red zone when they get in that heavy package and put J.J. Pegues the 6-2 300 pound H back in there to, to go run the ISO. But I'm looking at Auburn in short yardage, being able to have a big guy like Grant Loy in there running a zone read where he can actually keep it on third and two to be able to hold that backside the end so you can actually get third and two and be able to keep Bo Nix out of harm's way having to run the zone read all the time. But I just believe to this day, if you're going to run a zone read RPO offense and the quarterback is not a threat to run, you're running two thirds of what you want to run. And it really helps me from a defensive perspective, be able to shut that down. That was also part of the frustration with not utilizing Gatewood. It was the very thing that people were saying, okay, this is the opportunity to utilize a different stature in this way. And when it didn't happen, they didn't go ahead. Yeah. And Taylor makes a great point there because I was just about to say, usually teams run that zone system a lot with the quarterback when they know they got a a backup that can step right in if he gets hurt. And Mm -hmm. for us, I thought we did have that early in the year with Gatewood, like Taylor was saying, but it was an opportunity for us to utilize Bo Moore in that aspect because of the guy that was right behind him. Now, moving forward, once Gatewood decided, okay, I'm opting out and I'm transferring, I think now that put a lot of pressure on Gus to say, I don't want to get my quarterback hurt. Yeah. And and it probably took a little bit of the play calling away because if, if Bo got hurt last year, who was we putting in? <laughs> you oh, know, yeah, I mean, you, you just hope Ford Sandberg doesn't blow it, I guess. Right, I so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the aspect, I think, that went behind it. And that was an interesting stat that you said, you know, the record of when our quarterbacks yeah. rushed for more than 350 to not. Like, that was – that's something that I didn't even know. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up. And uh, like I said, Taylor has a great assumption about that as well as far as, you know, all the information. And then like she was saying with the Gatewood thing, like that's something that we thought Gatewood would get utilized with more last year. So, you know, it didn't happen. It didn't transpire. But, um, you know, so here we are this year and we have a capable backup uh, with the kid that transfers. So we'll see how how, how it transformed this year. Definitely. 
Yeah, I, I would hope that we see Grant Loy a little bit. It's interesting that you bring that up because they talk repeatedly about how they like Bo's ability to run and his ability to scramble and extend plays. And yet in those situations, it felt like a lack of creativity a little bit in utilizing his run game. And so then you go, all right, maybe it's a protection thing. Maybe they bring in a backup, especially if the, the size discrepancy varies. Didn't happen with Gatewood, but maybe Chad Morris, that's something that he would like to utilize. And so maybe we'll see that creativity ramp up, especially in red zone situations. But uh, yeah, I like what both of you guys said about this Auburn team. We're going to close here. I want to get your predictions on this first matchup. But I also am excited to see what this run game becomes with Chad Morris. A lot of reports coming out of camp have been that he's got plans to utilize all five of these backs. And look, we have five backs that are very talented and could play at high levels. You've got Shivers, Bigsby, Joyner, Williams, and Richards. And reporters that have been covering scrimmages say Chad Morris has plans for all five of these guys, but he's keeping it very close to the chest. Even guys covering camp don't know exactly what that means. But look, there were times last season that I covered Auburn games and we would get handed a depth chart and the running back literally had five or six guys listed on the depth mm -hmm. chart. I yeah. will not be surprised if that's what we see again this year, especially given the fact that all five of these guys have a lot in the tank. Ah, pun intended. All right. All of that said, all that we covered, all that we discussed, you look ahead to Kentucky. Week one matchup at home. Weird freaking season. <laughs> what do you guys expect from this one? Uh, well, I, I've predicted it. I, I when I look at Kentucky, I think they're one dimensional. Uh, I don't okay. think they can throw the ball. They're, they're one of the best at running the ball. That's has been their identity. I think they're going to try and open it up a little bit with Terry, you know, with Gatewood. I'll be interested to see uh, just exactly what they do with him. But I think Auburn wins the game 34, 23. That's what I have it at. I think uh, it'll be a dog fight till about halfway through the third quarter. Now I think if Auburn can come out and score early, it puts that offense at a disadvantage and gets them off schedule of what they want to do. And I think Auburn's really only chance at a blowout would be if they started early and, and forced Kentucky to have to start throwing it. But I think it's a good matchup. It's a good test week one. Kentucky's good enough to come down here and win. Uh, they're veteran on, on the offensive line. They're, they're veteran on the defensive line. So it'll be a good challenge, but Auburn is the more talented and deeper team. You have a brand new system, a lot of unknowns in, uh, with, with the COVID offseason. I just think at the end of the day, Auburn uh, game one, 34-23 over Kentucky. And uh, I think both those were about 302 touchdowns. And I think that an Auburn tight end catches the first touchdown. Wow. Come on, Jake. Like are you it. out here? Are you? Sideline betting up there with Vegas or something. Hey, numbers man. 34 to 23. Like, what's really going on here, Jay? You know, the first game going to come out like this. You know, teams are going to come out. You haven't seen any preseason. Well, this is college. But you haven't seen any spring game. So, mm -hmm. you already know somebody's going to come out with some trick plays up their sleeve. That's going to try to yep. catch the defense sleeping early. Because what do defenses want to do in games like this where they haven't hit nobody for real, real in a while? They want to come out and lay the lumber. So, with them coming out trying to lay the lumber, I think the team that tackles the best wins the game. And the reason I say that is I've been looking at college and pro, and there's a lot of missed tackles. And teams that wrap up and not go for the blowout are the teams that are getting guys to the ground and winning football games. So that's the key for me. And I think Auburn can have that success doing that because I've heard in camp the guys are really doing well. Uh, Sherwood is really, really stepping up in the DB position. 
Christian Tutts coming back in the in the in the DB position. Love him. We all know about you know our linebacker core. So it's up to me is how well does Big Cat Bryant and Nick Poe come out and play this year and puts pressure on defenses. I mean pressure on offenses. And how well do we do starting the season off? running the football, like you said, setting that foundation, and that's when the passing game is really going to take off because Auburn is a really good play-action pass team. So, Mm -hmm. for me, Taylor and Jake, that's my assumption. I'm going to go 38 to 24, Auburn. You (laughs) prices righted me, man. He really did. I I love it. Well, I am certainly excited to see how it all takes shape. Jake Crane, thank you so much for joining us this week. Everyone, make sure you go check out the J-Boy Show. Where can they find you? Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're uh, upgrading our YouTube page right now and uh, got some other stuff in the works. But I really appreciate coming on. You guys do a great job. I love listening to the show. And uh, and I'm just very thankful for coming on. All right, everybody. Well, that is our episode for this week. Little housekeeping announcement. Drum roll, please. We are going back to our weekly format. I know, I know. You're very happy. We're going to give you more content. Now that season is underway, we will be back every single week to give you an episode diving into this Auburn football team. We'll obviously give you a more in-depth perspective of week one matchups next week. And then from then on, we'll have game recaps. We're going to get back into having more guests that can talk on this football team. So Jason and I are officially back every single week. So it's a great time for you to subscribe if you have not already. We are, of course, a podcast under the Believe Network. So if you go on Believe's website, believe.com, you will find us there. Also, if you are an Apple person, you can find us in the podcast app. If you search Believe in Everything Auburn, you will find us there. Hit the subscribe button. Makes your life easier. You're going to get a notification every time we release an episode. So you certainly want to do that as season gets going so you stay in the know with Jason Campbell and Taylor Davis on Believe in Everything Auburn. Everybody have a great week. We will be back next week. Until then, War Eagle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.